0: New
1: day pray to
2: your day.
3: We begin on this Thursday, the third of August by praying together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the canticle of Zechariah. It is a better way to start a Thursday, the Sunrise Morning Show. Glad that you're along. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, Father Robert Nixon will continue our series on his book, Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus, looking at more jewels and stars and flowers that are representative of the virtues of Our Lady. Chris McGregor will dive into the Office of Readings with us. Chris, of course, from Discerning Hearts. Michael Dauphiné is going to discuss the Beatitudes as Steps of Courage. And then Pastoral Counselor Kevin Printergast is looking ahead to tomorrow's Feast of St. John Vianney. Of course, Kevin is a pastoral counselor. Uh, One of his favorite saints is the patron saint of pastors, namely St. John Vianney. So we'll get into St. John Vianney with Kevin Printergast at the end of the hour. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news.
1: Good morning. The World Youth Day Pilgrims will be welcoming Pope Francis in the opening ceremony today for him in Lisbon. The Holy Father has a full day of encounters with youth. He's set to meet with university students and also paint the final brush stroke in a mural created by a community of young people originally established by decree of the Pope. Earlier yesterday... After arriving in Portugal, Pope Francis met with civil authorities and diplomats and in his address reflected on the direction of Europe. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports.
4: The Pope said that as an ocean city, Lisbon reminds us of the importance of the whole, to think of borders as places of contact, not as boundaries that separate Recalling the Treaty of Lisbon, which in 2007 reformed the European Union, committing it to actively contribute to world peace, sustainable development, solidarity and the protection of human rights, he questioned the direction Europe and the West have taken to effectively bring peace to the world, namely its investments in sophisticated weapons rather than in the future of the young He also lamented the developed world's creeping utilitarianism that uses life and discards it, the life of the unborn, of older persons, of migrants. In the face of these setbacks, Pope Francis remarked that the thousands of young people pouring into Lisbon this week offer a reason for hope and that therefore the World Youth Day represents an opportunity to build together something new for the future he suggested three construction sites of hope the first one is the protection of creation for the sake of the new generations the second is the future represented by young people facing many difficulties today which in the west has resulted in a troubling demographic decline In this regard, once again, Pope Francis urged for far-sighted social and economic policies, but also reiterated the need for intergenerational solidarity that forge bonds between young and old. Finally, Pope Francis cited fraternity, which Christians learn about from Christ. In a globalized world, all of us are challenged to cultivate a sense of community, he said. I am Lisa Zingarini.
1: Former President Donald Trump is due to be arraigned this afternoon in the nation's capital on four counts related to alleged efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election. In announcing the indictment this week, Special Counsel Jack Smith said his office will push for a speedy trial, adding that they're ready to have all of the evidence, quote, tested in a court of law. The 45-page indictment alleges Trump was, quote, determined to remain in power despite having lost the election and being aware that he had lost. The man convicted of killing 11 people at a Pittsburgh synagogue has been sentenced to death. A federal jury came to a unanimous decision yesterday on the fate of Robert Bowers. He was convicted on more than 60 charges last June for the 20. Eighteen mass shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue, which was the worst attack on Jewish people in U.S. history. The court will reconvene this morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, at which time his sentence will be formally imposed. The State Department is ordering non-emergency U.S. government employees and eligible family members to evacuate from Niger after last week's military takeover. Mark Mayfield reports.
5: That's
2: when the West African country's democratically elected president was pushed out of office. In a statement Wednesday, the State Department said the U.S. Embassy in Niamey has temporarily reduced its personnel, suspended routine services, and is only able to provide emergency assistance to U.S. citizens. The advisory also warns Americans not to travel to Niger. European nations have called the takeover by the military a coup. I'm Mark Mayfield.
1: And the Big Ten could be poaching more schools from the Pac-12 conference. The Big Ten released a statement yesterday that it has begun, quote, exploratory discussions about potential additions. The conference is reportedly looking at Pac-12 schools, Washington and Oregon. The Big Ten will already be adding USC and UCLA in 2024, the Pac-12, it's now down to nine schools after Colorado voted to rejoin the Big 12 in 2024. The Big 10 has also considered adding Cal and Stanford, which could balloon the conference to 20 teams. At which time, Matt, do you change it to the Big 20?
3: I was about to say, how many teams are in a Big 10 or a 12?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I and, feel like— uh, Yeah, if you're
1: in the pack. 12, but there are only nine teams.
3: I said no camels, that's five camels,
1: can't you count?
3: That's all I can say, I mean that's the only thing I can think of.
1: I was thinking, what is this, a center for
3: ants? No. I don't know why. What is this, a conference for- For ants? Pacific teams? I don't know.
1: No, not at all.
3: (laughs) Not anymore, You know, that's
1: the thing about college sports now. Because of I, I mean, it's just like it's gotten. When does Hawaii
3: join the Big East?
1: That is, yes, exactly, Matt, exactly. And then you feel bad for like the women's volleyball team because they have to somehow take a bus from Hawaii to.
3: It is hard to get a bus from Hawaii to the mainland. Let me just tell you. (laughs)
1: Today is Thursday, August the 3rd. Happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Robert Nixon. He's a Benedictine at New Norcia in Australia, translator of the Tan Resurrection series. We've been going through one of them, Crown of the Virgin, an ancient meditation on Mary's Beauty, Virtue, and Sanctity by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. Father, welcome back. Father, welcome back.
6: Thank you very much, Eddie. It's fantastic to be with you today.
1: It is fantastic to have you. And today we are going to be talking about the 19th place in the crown of the Virgin imagined by St. Ildefonsus. And in that place he puts the peridot gemstone, peridot, peridot. I've never heard of this. Had to look this one up. Father, tell Is us about this right? gem.
6: Okay, okay, absolutely. Um, so, any, it's a, um, it's actually a most moderately well-known gem. Uh, before I became a monk, one of my interests was actually collecting gemstones, so I was familiar with it. But it's, um, it's a kind of gr- very dark green color, a kind of olive green color, not quite like an emerald, but of a of a somewhat darker shade than that. And um, a very complex colour, which seems to mix in different hues. And, um, you know, it's it's not an overly expensive stone, um, but it is very beautiful. And in the Middle Ages, um, when Ildefonsus was writing, it was... Uh, I was actually quite surprised to, to read that he included that one, that they knew about that in the Middle Ages, that stone. But, um, yeah, so he chooses this to place in the Blessed Virgin's crown uh, in the 19th place and... He, he chooses it because, precisely because of its quite unique colour. And he describes this colour as combining the fulford shade of gold with that of the greenish-tinged ocean. And I hadn't thought about it before in that way, but actually that is a very good description of the colour of the perido. And he says, In the tints of gold reverent mercy is expressed, while the shade of the sea expresses the bitterness of tearful sorrow. So um, Mary, for him, combines these two elements, uh, the gold of mercy with the sea-green tinge of the bitterness of sorrow, with which she is so well acquainted because of uh, her experiences throughout her life, as mother of the son who underwent all of the sufferings for the sake of our salvation. And she shared in those unique sufferings in a most unique way.
1: What a beautiful description for our Blessed Mother. I love how you put it, the complex hues of the Peridot gemstone, because that is really what you get when you look at the Blessed Mother, right? You see so much joy and yet so much sorrow and, and, and you Indeed. combine them together in the Blessed Mother.
6: Yes, you do. And, you know, he points out that it's, it's the fact that she underwent such great bitterness of sorrow that she's able to extend this compassion, this, this radiant and gold-like compassion and mercy to others because she fully understands um, the depth of our need for mercy. So, uh, you know, you think about compassion consists of an empathy with other people's suffering. And because Christ underwent greater suffering than any other human being and Mary shared in that suffering, there's absolutely no pain or hurt we can feel which can separate us from her love or her mercy. She understands everything we feel uh, in, in an unbelievable and maternal way. And that I think is is the key to her as the mediatrix of grace, as the channel of mercy.
1: And I love in the prayer bringing in some some biblical typology to the uh, to this description of the gemstone. When you're talking about these tints of gold, um, kind of mixed in with with the sorrow of of the green of the sea, he's talking about the Blessed Mother as, as the Ark of the Covenant, adorned with purest gold.
6: Yes, um, and that description as the Ark of the Covenant, I think is, is a really beautiful one for Mary. Um, he says, you are the true Ark of the Covenant, adorned with purest gold, in which are hidden all the treasures of the grace and mercy of God. On the exterior gilded with virtues, and on the interior lined with the gold of innocence and piety, and you know, if we think about the the old ark, it was placed in, uh, sorry, the old covenant was placed within this ancient ark, but now our new covenant really is in the person of Jesus Christ Himself, the one who united humanity to divinity, who reconciled our being, our whole being, body and soul, to God Himself. And Mary was the ark, the vessel that contained this covenant, which was uh, personified perfectly in Jesus Christ. So I think that that this is a a great description of her and that she had to be uh, fittingly beautiful and noble to be the vessel that contained this new and divine covenant.
1: Yeah, the true temple of the Lord. Father, can you close out our conversation uh, telling listeners about the end of this prayer in which he describes her um, as as sort of expressions of the power of Jesus.
6: Yeah, indeed indeed and this is this is wonderful and we think about the virtues and the powers of God. Most of the time we actually experience them through other people. and Mary is the is the most wonderful and perfect example of that. And he talks about her as the true temple of the Lord. His omnipotence, the omnipotence of God, is expressed in your charity, and his wisdom is revealed in your humility, his kindness in your virtue, his strength in your faith, his purity in your virginity, and his sanctity in your actions and demeanor. You are the life of the world, the healing medicine to afflicted souls, the tree of life in the center of the garden of paradise. You are the glory of the world, the pillar of heaven, the firmament of virtue, the sword which overcomes the devil, the force which makes hell tremble. You extinguish sinful lust, make the fruits of virtue to germinate, strengthen the weak, give sight to the blind, feed the hungry, protect the poor, and lead the dying to the glory of paradise, which the death and resurrection of your most blessed Son, Jesus, has won for us. Amen. Amen.
1: Beautiful, beautiful chapter in Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo, translated by Father Robert Nixon. Father, really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you.
6: Thank you. God bless you, Annie, and God bless all your listeners today.
1: And you as well, Father. Thank you so much. And you can find Crown of the Virgin linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Headlines coming up next. It's 16 past.
3: Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com franchise opportunities available.
7: Lord Teach Me to Pray, the Ignatian prayer series, can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on digital training. That's lordteachmetopray.com and click on digital training.
3: Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine.
1: Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission.
3: While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get
1: your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. Teresa Tamio.
5: Every time I go to Mass and see my husband serving on the altar as a deacon, it hits me how, with God, all things are possible. I mean, there is no way that we should be still married, number one, based on all the problems we had. But number two, the fact that I'm in Catholic media and my husband is a deacon is simply a testimony to the power of God and the teachings of the church that saved our marriage and, more importantly,
8: our souls. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio.
3: Eighteen minutes past the hour, here's Anna with headlines.
1: Former President Trump is due to be arraigned this afternoon in the nation's capital on four counts in a new indictment that he's been hit with this week. The former bishop of the Diocese of Albany, New York, has announced that he's now civilly married. And the World Youth Day pilgrims will be welcoming Pope Francis in a ceremony later today in Lisbon.
3: Anna Mitchell, today on the calendar is someone who's not necessarily like really fully officially on the calendar. And it's partly because there's not a whole lot of knowledge about, well, there's sort of some legend and tradition. But whether or not we can talk about this person as a canonized saint, I feel like we should talk about this person because Gamaliel is on the calendar. Yes. And if you don't know the story of Gamaliel, um, go read the Book of Acts. He pops up during the Easter season. Uh, When we have those first readings from Acts, and essentially in Acts chapter 5, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on with the apostles causing a stir. And the elders of Israel are trying to figure out what to do about them and what to make of them. And Gamaliel, who actually trained St. Paul, uh, stands up and says something very powerful. He says, listen, be careful what you do with these guys. Uh, because we've had a whole bunch of people who've popped up over the years as revolutionaries and claiming to be prophets and so on and so forth. And what I would say to you about these guys, Peter and James and John and the like, is that leave them alone, (laughs) let them go. If they are of human origin, they will destroy themselves. Mm -hmm. But if they are of God, then you might find yourself fighting God. And what I've found interesting is that this is kind of the approach that the church has taken on a lot of things over the years mm-hmm. Why doesn't the Vatican immediately pronounce On every single thing that comes out Well maybe they're trying to figure out If it's going to destroy or itself Or it's from God And they need a little time to do that
1: Right exactly And I think that it'd be appropriate That we would assume Gamaliel Would eventually accept Christianity As the true religion I mean given
3: Given that line of thinking Exactly yeah. It's 21 minutes past the hour Tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine
1: go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at s o n r i s e m o r n i n g s h o w . c o m and when you make a purchase we earn a commission
3: while you're at our site pick up a mug or etched travel mug which are available in our online store
1: get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com this past year has been a
8: crazy roller coaster ride but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com.
9: Oh, come, Creator Spirit, come and make within our souls Thy home. Supply thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made. O gift of God most high, thy name is Comforter whom we acclaim. The fount of life, the fire of love, the soul's anointing from above. The sevenfold gift of grace is thine, thou finger of the hand divine. The Father's promise true to teach, thy light to every sense impart, pour forth thy love in every heart. Our weakened flesh do thou restore to strength and courage evermore. Drive far away our ghostly foe, thine own abiding peace bestow. If thou dost go before as guide, no evil can our steps betide. Through thee may we the Father learn, and know the Son, and thee discern, who art of both, and thus adore, in perfect faith, for evermore. Amen. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Henry Stephan.
1: Chris mcgregor back with us now on the sunrise morning show from discerninghearts.com good morning chris good morning anna how are you today i am doing great and our selection from the office of readings is unreal this is for (laughs) friday of the 17th week in ordinary time it is taken from a letter written by saint ignatius of antioch to saint polycarp
5: who are these guys Let's just go big, shall we? Yeah, for real. <laughs> um, yeah, Saint Ignatius of Antioch, the great father of the church who would, uh, on his way to Rome to be uh, martyred, and he knew that, and it, which was unusual at the time because usually Christians were martyred in, in their cities, and yet for one reason or another, the emperor wanted him to come to Rome, probably to be displayed in the uh, rather newly built Colosseum to provide entertainment, and as he is uh, on this journey in chains, he is writing letters to so many, uh, probably seven or eight different communities, and one to Polycarp, Polycarp who was the uh, the one who was with Saint John the Apostle. So he, there is a direct line connection to the apostles in Polycarp, and Ignatius is writing to Polycarp to encourage him to say, you know, don't forget these things. I'm so glad I had a chance to meet you. And I know you have this um, godliness of your mind and you're anchored, it seems as he would say in an immovable rock, you know, here I go, but I want you to know, keep keep these things in mind. This is the marching orders essentially for all Christians, for all of us, it's, it's, it's so beautiful, isn't it?
1: It is so beautiful. So just to to get further context here, uh, they meet on Ignatius's journey to his martyrdom, correct? That is the, mm-hmm. the opportunity that they had to meet was Ignatius is being carted off to Rome and, and encounters Polycarp in Smyrna.
5: That's right. So he's this is kind of, you know, I just we met. I'm so glad it gave me such encouragement. And now I'm I'm putting this down in writing so we don't forget.
1: Wow. So what stands out to you in this letter, Chris?
5: Well, it it has several different parts and it it talks about the importance of uh, help all men as the Lord also helps you suffer all men in love indeed you are doing this he could see that ignatius could see that polycarp was himself having to suffer but pray unceasingly beg for wisdom be watchful and keep the spirit from slumbering and this is this line in this particular paragraph it, it really hit me speak to each person individually just like god himself mm. and like a perfect champion bear the infirmities of all the greater the toil the greater the gain and that is so beautiful it's to reverence each person and he says this just like you are speaking to god give you know give each soul no matter who it is it could you know he was probably doing that ignatius as he's walking with the the ten guards that are taking him to rome mm-hmm. you know this is what transforms us even your enemies speak to them you know, give them attention. It's beautiful, isn't it?
1: That line stood out to me as well, because I'm thinking of Ignatius, knowing that he's headed to a gruesome death, is writing this and and talking about how God, how we need to speak to each person individually, just as God speaks to each person individually. And you wonder what he was experiencing in prayer in that time as he's approaching his death
5: yeah he would go on to say in that second paragraph these critical times have need of you as a ship needs a helmsman and the storm-tossed sailor needs a harbor and be strict with yourself like a good athlete of god the prize is immortality and eternal life as you know and i offer myself up as a sacrifice on your behalf myself and these chains which you yourself have kissed kissed yeah. Kissed so I mean these, the chains of Antioch
1: Ignatius
5: I know, of Antioch. These critical times Anna I mean we talk about uh, there's a lot of discourse about the how some may feel about the church this way or that way but there is I mean here are the early Christians that are literally being led to death you know at this at this infancy of the, of the life of the church and here here's the instruction this is how it, it it grew. It was because how they, in these critical times, they need your witness, but it's to be tender, loving, gentle, even to those who persecute you. Yeah. How about that? Yeah.
1: He says, do not be caught off balance by those who plausibly teach perverse doctrines. Stand firm as an anvil under the blows. The task of great athletes is to suffer punishment and yet conquer, but especially mm. But especially must we endure all things for the sake of God, that he also may endure us. Even in the midst of all of this, Ignatius recognizing that we all are in need of God's mercy, that God may also endure us. What an incredible line.
5: Yeah, please get out and find this in online and print it out.
1: You can find it in the office of readings and you can find chris mcgregor and all of her excellent podcasts over at discerninghearts.com linked at sunrise morningshow.com. thank you for bringing this one to our attention chris
5: you're a good example of this saint ignatius would be proud of you anna
1: no oh, that's very sweet i think likewise chris very much appreciated and uh, you can find all of our guests I think are good examples of what St. Ignatius is talking about in this letter. You can find them all linked at sonrisemorningshow.com and hopefully they can be of an encouragement to you uh, through all of the work that they do, especially over at discerninghearts.com. Don't forget to click that subscribe button while you're over there looking at the show notes so that you can get it linked in your inbox every morning as the Sunrise Morning Show goes on the air. SONRISEMORNINGSHOW.COM Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. The World Youth Day Pilgrims are welcoming Pope Francis today in Lisbon, a welcome ceremony set for a little later today. The Holy Father has a full day of youth encounters on the schedule. He's set to meet with university students And he's also painting the final brushstroke in a mural created by a community of young people that was originally established by decree of Pope Francis. The Holy Father met yesterday with Portuguese civil authorities and diplomats as he began his visit to Portugal for World Youth Day. In his remarks, he questioned the direction of Europe, citing specifically the war in Ukraine. He said, quote, where are you sailing if you are not showing the world paths of peace, creative ways for bringing an end to the war in Ukraine and to the many other conflicts causing so much bloodshed? Quote. On his flight to Portugal, the Holy Father learned of a young man who said he would spiritually accompany him and
10: everyone at World Youth Day. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano Lubov reports. A moving moment occurred when the Spanish journalist of Radio Cope, Eva Fernandez, gave the Pope a letter from Pablo, a young professed Carmelite who died from cancer in July at the young age of 21, in which the late young man writes, The Pope has promised that he will accompany pilgrims at the World Youth Day from heaven. Despite his end coming near, Pablo had entered the order in articulo mortis, taking his vows in his room at the hospital clinic in Salamanca. His religious consecration Creation was a response to that ardor given by faith that he said he felt in every fiber of his body debilitated by six years of illness. His story, which in some ways is reminiscent of that of Carlo Acutis, reached the Pope's hands. In his letter, he recounted the years of his illness, saying, I am aware that everything has a reason in God's plan. Between ups and downs, better and worse days, and with much purification through illness. Today I look at my life and I can confess that I have been and I am happy. He said that I have discovered that at the center of my life is not illness, but Christ. Christ noting, as I told my friends, family, and Carmelite brothers, through suffering and sickness, I have met God and through death and sickness I will go to him, and for this I thank him. I know from experience Pablo wrote that no one can extinguish the inner fire that a young person in love with Jesus can have. Pablo concluded reassuring, I pray to the Lord that this fire of God's love burns in Lisbon, and how I would like the young people to know Jesus, my beloved. He has given me so much, consoled me so much, made me so happy. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. Pope Francis met with victims
1: of clerical sexual abuse yesterday on the first day of his visit to Portugal. The Pope met privately with the victims in what the Vatican described as an atmosphere of intense listening. The former bishop of the Diocese of Albany, New York, has announced that he is civilly married. Bishop Emeritus Howard Hubbard put out a statement saying he exchanged vows with a woman last month who he says has helped care for him and believes in him. Hubbard has been under investigation for both committing and covering up sexual abuse. He announced last year that he had applied to the Vatican for laicization, but that request was denied. Current Albany bishop Edward Scharfenberger has released a statement saying Hubbard is still a bishop and the quote-unquote marriage is invalid. Former President Trump is due to be arraigned this afternoon in the nation's capital on four counts related to alleged efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Special counsel Jack Smith said his office will push for a speedy trial, adding they're ready to have all of the evidence tested in a court of law. Trump has said this indictment is purely political. Roughly 65 million Americans are still dealing with heat alerts across the South. Trey Thomas has more.
11: Major cities in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, Oklahoma, and Kansas are all facing several days of dangerous heat as the heat index is forecast to go above 110 degrees. The heat dome will make its way to California and Arizona, where Phoenix could reach upwards of 115 degrees. I'm Trey Thomas.
1: The man convicted of killing 11 people at a Pittsburgh synagogue has been sent Sentenced to death. A federal jury came to a unanimous decision yesterday on the fate of Robert Bowers, who was convicted of the 2018 mass shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue. Court will reconvene this morning when the sentence will be formally imposed. That's the news.
3: It's
12: 35.
3: Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single use coffee pods especially
13: for you.
1: Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a
3: commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store.
1: Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This
8: past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe. Who want to know more about this? And support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com.
14: This is every day with St. Francis de Sales. We must set our hearts firmly in God and never withdraw them because God alone is our peace, our consolation, and our glory. What can we expect if we do not unite ourselves to our dear Saviour? We are indeed fortunate to be able to graft our hearts onto that of the Saviour. He is united to the divinity, the sacred root of the tree of which we are the branches. Yes, dear Jesus, do with my heart according to your own pleasure. I do not want to have any further rights over it. I donate, consecrate, and sacrifice it forever to you. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Chris Armstrong.
1: It's 37 minutes past the hour and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Very happy to have you along with us today. Dr. Michael Dauphiné is with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a professor and chair of theology at Ave Maria University in Florida. Dr. Dauphiné, good morning.
13: Good morning. Happy to be on the show.
1: Happy to have you back. Now, you've written a piece over at the Ascension Press site about the Beatitudes as eight steps of courage. How does courage play into the Beatitudes?
13: Yes. Well, uh, thank you for asking. Uh, you know, John Paul II once said in his encyclical Veritatis Splendor that the Beatitudes are a self-portrait of Christ, and I was on retreat. Um, a couple months, uh, several months ago, and the priest was talking about the Beatitudes, right? blessed are the poor in spirit, and those sorts of things. And he just said, he said, many Catholics will know the commandments, but if you ask them, uh, you know, what are the the attitudes? He, he said, Most of them, even good Catholics, really don't know them. And I thought, how sad that we don't know the portrait that Jesus gave of himself for us. And so I then was thinking about how that we really need courage to face the difficulties of life that often fill us with fear and anger. And courage helps us to have the strength not to be overwhelmed by our fears, nor to be overwhelmed by our anger, so that we stop reacting to the world and we begin to respond to it. And I was thinking in a way that that's what Jesus wants us to do by the Beatitudes, is help us to learn how to transform not only our head, but also our hearts, to learn to just change our entire way of being into his being so that we not only think, act, but also respond emotionally to the difficulties of life with total trust and surrender to God. That
1: is beautifully put. Can you talk about you? You mentioned this idea of being reactive toward, um, you know, all of the things that, that come our way, the the hurdles and, and evil. And and a lot of times Christians think, okay, well, my job is to turn the other cheek. So how do we square that with the Beatitudes? What is the importance for us to be proactive about being virtuous in the face of spiritual trials?
13: Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. And, and I think in a way, what what happens is that even just as kind of like um, our God made us both with a mind and a body, right? So uh, as bodies, we even have that kind of initial fight, flight, or the you know fight, flight, or freeze. React. That's our that's our immediate thing. We want to fight, or we flight, We run away, or we freeze. So we either get angry, or we get fearful, or we get depressed and shut down. That's what we do, and that's okay in terms of immediate survival, but usually it tends to blind us to the situation. When we get really angry, we can't see straight. When we're really afraid, we don't do that. And when we shut down, we don't see. And so what the virtue of courage does, and the steps of the beatitude, one at a time, help us to turn over ourselves to God so that then we can become more truly ourselves. And then see, wait a second, in this situation, just as it is, what can I do? Um, I even talk about that with the hung, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Sometimes when we get angry, we want to fix the situation. But maybe the situation just can't be fixed. Maybe sometimes we just have to put it in God's hands. Um, but that doesn't mean avoiding right everything. We have to stop avoiding, avoiding. We have to sometimes try Gods avoid things. But what is the part that God is asking me to play here. And maybe I do need courage to step up and, you know, um, you know, have that difficult conversation with someone or, you know, um, or again, just being willing to continue to not be overwhelmed by the sadness or the grief of life.
1: Can you talk about the need for the virtue of humility, in all of this, you you talk about how Saint Augustine describes the Beatitudes as as a ladder, and the first the first step on there is to be humble. What does it mean to be yeah. courageous and humble at the same time?
13: That's a, that's, a, that's excellent. Um, yeah, so Augustine would actually he wrote um, a, a, a homily or a long book on the Sermon on the Mount, and he would. I talked about the the attitudes as a ladder, and you have to go up one step at a time. And so he saw that blessed are the poor in spirit is really the first one. If we don't recognize our poverty of spirit, and I think we often don't—poverty of spirit is humility, and we don't realize that we lack it because sometimes it's not so much that we think we can run the world— we think that we should, and we feel bad that we can't, So we feel ashamed that we fail to be as good as we want to be, that we fail to run our families well, we fail to say the right things, and we're we are we're kind of ashamed for being creatures. We want to be the creator. And so to say, to be hum- humility, Saint Teresa of Abloh would say, is truth. And therefore, it's just really to recognize the truth of myself, that I'm a creature and that I'm a wounded creature. So on my own, as Jesus will say in the Gospel of John, John 15, right? on my own, I can do nothing. Uh, and I have to just be able to recognize that, that on my own, I can't love God as I want. I can't love my wife as I want. I can't love my children as I want. I can't fix the problems around me. And so I have to admit my powerlessness, uh, and C.S. Lewis would say that faith is really admitting our bank, the bankruptcy of our effort. And when we do that, but then recognize that God has come into our world and into our lives to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, that Jesus died on the cross and rose again to give us the power of the new spirit. Uh, so once we recognize our humility, then as uh, Paul teaches in 2 Timothy 1-7, right, you did not receive a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and self-control. The humility then gives us, the, when we stop relying on our own spirit, we can begin to ask the Holy Spirit to change us and give us the direction and power that we need.
1: And that's so important on so many levels, isn't it? I mean, as you go up this, this ladder of the Beatitudes that you've been describing here, um, I was particularly struck by the part where you were saying, well, you know, a lot of times we will, will say, well, Jesus got angry. It was righteous anger. And, and we use that to sort of justify ourselves. But really, uh, if we look at that in, in a more humble way, we uh, we might be getting a little too big for our britches.
13: Yes, and I think we have to remember it's not so much that when we, when we wander— in our normal patterns of life, which is away from the Beatitudes, it's not so much that we're doing wrong things and we're going to get in trouble, it's that we're not as happy as God meant us to be. God created us to be happy with His happiness. But by sin, we walk away from that, and so when we learn to walk the path of the Beatitudes, to practice the eight steps of courage, we begin to find greater joy. You know, and I think even a lot of Christians, they do the right things they try to do those um, better things even and yet they still don't find the happiness and peace in this life because they're still trying and I know I have been, done this many times where I'm still trying to like impose my solutions on the world um, I mentioned that in blessed are the peacemakers uh, St Augustine will talk about the fact that there's a counterfeit peace in which I try to impose my will on the world and on the situation and sometimes peace is just to recognize the peace that I need is only the peace that God can give. And I need to be part of the solution, but I can't be the solution, because that would ultimately take away the freedom of other people. Yeah. Uh, so there's just so many different ways that I feel like when we begin to walk this way, we begin again, to find ourselves less constrained, less blinded our emotional reactions, and we begin to find ways of responding in greater peace, to try to learn to love as God loves, to see as God sees. Um, and I think we can, you know, with that, uh, really begin to have at least a little bit more of that joy and happiness that Jesus wants to put before us.
1: We've been talking to Dr. Michael Dauphiné, and you can find his article, Eight Steps of Courage, A New Look at Jesus' Beatitudes, over at ascensionpress.com. Dr. Dauphiné, really appreciate your thoughts this morning, thank you so much.
13: Well, thanks so much for having me on the show.
1: You bet. All right, it's 13 till our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast,
7: joins us next. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world work for the new evangelization go to lordteachmetopray.com order your free digital training and manual find true happiness and everlasting joy go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today it's free approved by the usccb
3: support for the sunrise morning show is from visiting angels visiting angels provides experienced compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the
1: Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission.
3: And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store.
1: Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at RiseMorningShow.com. EWTN, communicating the
13: faith.
9: And I wanted to tell you guys, how great your show is because uh, I listen to you guys
13: every every day for the last past five and a half months. It's because of you guys that I came to the Catholic faith. Now I'm going to church on Sunday for the first time because I just got out yesterday from jail and I got my mom to go too and my girlfriend is also going with me. She's willing to give the
9: Catholic faith a try.
11: EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic.
7: When was your best job interview?
15: Are you still working there?
7: You can share today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations.
15: And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show.
3: The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast, licensed counselor with decades of experience both in private practice and in seminary instruction. Kevin, good morning.
16: Hey, good morning. Thanks, Matt.
3: Glad to have you on for this one. And uh, we're going to talk about him in a special way because his feast day is October 4th. Uh, but we talk about him year-round, <laughs> and that's uh, St. John Vianney. Uh, we also mm-hmm. just celebrated the feast of St. Alphonsus Liguori, uh, on the first of August, uh, okay. how big do these two men play in your, uh, you know, approach to what it means to be a Catholic, trying to address someone uh, in the mental and emotional health realm?
16: Yeah, I've I've learned a lot from these two. Uh, the Curie of ours has been my patron saint since I was probably six years old, and I, I I draw a lot of strength from his example. And I think there's three takeaways we can get from these saints. Uh, and dealing with heresies or how we get out of balance. So the first would be our image of God. Is it too much on the harsh side or too much on the lenient side? And I think that's a big question for us today. And then another one is, is it possible to change as we get older, especially as we get to midlife or beyond? And then how the heck do we persevere and stay faithful to our vocations and commitments? So a couple of things. Alphonsus Ligori, great moral theologian, lived uh, before the Curia of ours, uh, but he really was did a lot to correct there's this whole sense in the seventeenth and eighteenth century of of fighting Jansenism and Jansenism basically says that we're unworthy uh, they would say that you know very rarely should you go to communion we 're not really worthy to receive the body of Christ uh, that we have to really focus on our sinfulness, our brokenness, our depravity. So we've got a lot of saints here, uh, Margaret Mary, Alicott, Claude de Colombier, John Eudes, even before Alphonsus, and he pulled that together, and he came up with a a book of moral theology and a handbook for confessors, which emphasized the mercy of God. So we hear that in more contemporary terms, uh, St. Faustina, how important it is to have mercy, to have that balance.
3: Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that the rise of the Sacred Heart devotion is very much mm -hmm. in response to the rise of Jansenism, which... You know, I, I've heard of it called as like, you know, like the sort of this this Protestant version of Catholicism <laughs> that says we're totally yep. depraved. We're just, uh, as yep. Luther would put it, uh, you're a snow-covered dunghill when Christ redeems <laughs> you. You know, there's a <laughs> yeah. there's sort of a veneer of salvation over top of you, but we know who you really are, right? I mean, That's this, is, right. this is infesting a lot of Europe during their time
16: that's right and and we still struggle with that that's the the heresies are always extremes that exaggerate something right so john vianney you know was really caught up in jansenism so you know if people know his story probably he was bright he was intelligent but he was a terrible student so he couldn't learn latin he flunked out of the seminary twice he had a priest who saw you know i'd rather have a holy priest than a, than a scholar. Right. So, and he was definitely, definitely holy, but early in his life. And when he took over this little parish of ours with just 200 families. uh, He, he emphasized, you know, uh, there's people in this church today who are probably committing mortal sins right now. Right. So the, and in the confessional, he was very harsh. He would uh, withhold um, giving absolution to people. Right. So that was early in his life. And it's very interesting in his fifties, so he's always very holy, and he did a lot. Started a school for homeless girls. So he was always very charitable, but he and he inflicted uh, severe punishments on himself. He thought that he was completely unworthy, and that he needed to beat himself uh, with with a discipline and starve himself. And then, and about the age of fifty-four, which is really interesting at midlife, uh, another priest gave him two books by uh alphonsus liguri of this moral theology in the handbook for confessors and even though he was a a guy who struggled through seminary he studied and absorbed those two books and they really changed him so that's a, a takeaway matt like when's the last time that we came across something read something heard something and then we applied it to our life so from that point on the rest of his life into his 70s uh he was much kinder in his sermons in the confessional and he emphasized god's mercy so he was very he would cry over his penitent sins. so he was very struck by the fact that we are sinners but ignatius used to talk about uh, we see ourselves we ask for the grace to see ourselves as loved sinners so finding that balance and i think today i don't think anybody would say that our culture goes too far in uh, self discipline or looking at sinfulness maybe we need that other corrective to find that balance uh, and the other thing that, you know, a second one would be, you know, that's very interesting to me. So at the end of his life, even though he flunked out of the seminary, he had a library of 200 or 300 well-read, uh, thumb-through, worn books in his library. So he, he was a big believer in catechesis and adult uh, faith formation as well as for kids. And he said, I have to, I didn't do so well in the seminary. I need to catch up on my learning about the faith. So that's another takeaway. Do we do that same thing? And toward the end of his life, uh, somebody asked him about his whole vocation. And one of the things that he said to a friend was, if I had known when I came to this parish of ours what I would have to suffer, the fear of it would certainly have killed me. (laughs) And I think when we hear that and we can think, you know, if I would have known on the day of my wedding what all that was going to involve, or in my vocation, my career, if I had, if somebody had shown me a picture of what I would have to suffer the difficulties. So I think that's important. Like he came to ours out of obedience to his Bishop. He actually tried to leave three times uh, cause he wanted to go to the monastery and just have a quiet life. He had these very long days, very uh, very full of zeal, but he w- he was worn out and he said, Lord, I just need a break. But the answer that he kept getting in prayer is be faithful to your commitment. I put you there for a reason. And some of our popes, John the Twenty-Third, John Paul II, and Benedict, have all written about John Vianney, and they talk about this balance. Like we have to have prayer as well as good works. We need prayer to to renew us, and and we can look at uh, John Vianney as someone who is renewed at midlife. So there's hope for us who are a little bit older that uh, we're not we're not done yet. God's not done with us yet.
3: Well, St. John Vianney's Feast Day, August, August 4th, and uh, he's a great saint, patron saint, a parish priest, so praying in a special way for uh, all of you listening this morning who are running parishes. I know that there are a lot of pastors uh, listen to the Sunrise Morning Show because we get notes from you. Pastoral Counselor Kevin Prendergast, thank you for your time, and we'll talk to you again soon.
16: Thanks, Matt. God bless. Take care.
3: We got another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up for many of you listening across the network here on EWTN. Stay with us. It's three minutes till.
11: So you just got home.com.
1: a
6: new
0: day.
3: We continue on this Thursday, the 3rd of August, praying together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, The prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola, whose feast we celebrated just a couple of days ago. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will. All I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I'm always careful about praying that prayer of Saint Ignatius, the Sushippe prayer, they call it, because uh, often when I ask the Lord to take my entire memory, that ends up happening. So I gotta be careful there. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Sway. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls, and up this hour, Catherine Fishlock joins us. She's our uh, she's a little liturgical and musical catechesis for us. Rita Heikenfeld will be along for Bible foods. Carrots are not mentioned in the Bible, but they are a staple of the Bible diet, the diet of uh, ancient times uh, of the people who show up in the Bible. Gary Machuda is going to be along as we continue through his book, The Gospel Truth. Also, Michelle Sagarino at the end of the hour, so please do stay with us if you can. Uh, Right now, it is two minutes past. News is a service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell.
1: Good morning. Pope Francis has a schedule full of youthful encounters today as his World Youth Day gets underway in earnest. He has visited with a community of young people originally established by decree of Pope Francis and contributed the final brush stroke to a large mural they've created. He will also meet with university students and then later today will participate in the official World Youth Day Welcome Ceremony for him. After arriving in Portugal yesterday, Pope Francis met with civil authorities and diplomats reflecting in his address on the direction of Europe. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini has more.
4: The Pope said that as an ocean city, Lisbon reminds us of the importance of the whole to think of borders as places of contact, not as boundaries that separate. Recalling the Treaty of Lisbon, which in 2007 reformed the European Union, committing it to actively contribute to world peace, sustainable development, solidarity and the protection of human rights, he questioned the direction Europe and the West have taken to effectively bring peace to the world, namely its investments in sophisticated weapons rather than in the future of the young He also lamented the developed world's creeping utilitarianism that uses life and discards it, the life of the unborn, of older persons, of migrants. In the face of these setbacks, Pope Francis remarked that the thousands of young people pouring into Lisbon this week offer a reason for hope and that therefore the World Youth Day represents an opportunity to build together something new for the future he suggested three construction sites of hope. The first one is the protection of creation for the sake of the new generations. The second is the future represented by young people facing many difficulties today, which in the West has resulted in a troubling demographic decline. In this regard, once again, Pope Francis urged for far-sighted social and economic policies, but also reiterated the need for intergenerational solidarity that forge bonds between young and old. Finally, Pope Francis cited fraternity, which Christians learn about from Christ. In a globalized world, all of us are challenged to cultivate a sense of community, he said. I am Lisa Zingarini.
1: Former President Donald Trump is due to be arraigned this afternoon in the nation's capital on four counts related to alleged efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Special counsel Jack Smith said his office will be pushing for a speedy trial, saying they're ready to have all of the evidence, quote, tested in a court of law. Trump, for his part, has said this latest indictment is purely political. The man convicted of killing 11 people at a Pittsburgh synagogue has been sentenced to death. A federal jury came to a unanimous decision yesterday on the fate of Robert Bowers. He was convicted of the 2018 mass shooting at the Tree of Life synagogue. Court will reconvene this morning, at which time his sentence will be formally imposed. There's new hope that the U.S. may soon get some information about an American soldier who was captured after he crossed into North Korea. The State Department has reached out to the reclusive nation to get an update. For the first time, North Korea has apparently responded, but no details have been made publicly available yet. The State Department is ordering non-emergency U.S. government employees and eligible family members to evacuate from Niger after last week's military takeover. Mark Mayfield reports. That's
2: when the West African country's democratically elected president was pushed out of office. In a statement Wednesday, the State Department said the U.S. Embassy in Niame has temporarily reduced its personnel, suspended routine services, and is only able to provide emergency assistance to U.S. citizens. The advisory also warns Americans not to travel to Niger. European nations have called the takeover by the military a coup. I'm Mark Mayfield.
1: And the incorrupt body of St. Benedict the Moor has been all but destroyed in a fire. The Catholic News Agency reports that a wildfire engulfed the parish of Santa Maria di Gesù in Sicily, The parish posted photos on Facebook of the charred remains of the patron saint of slaves, as well as the severely damaged remains of blessed Matteo Agrigento. It said, with tears in our hearts, we are very sad to inform you that little is left of the body of St. Benedict, the Moor and blessed Matteo. Unfortunately.
3: I saw that story Real. this week, and yeah, very. It's it's heartbreaking um, for a number of reasons, but uh, you know, there there are actually a few different uh, parishes in the United States named for Saint Benedict the Moor. I'm thinking mm-hmm. specifically of one that was organized in Pittsburgh fairly recently. Um, there's one here in the Archdiocese of Washington. Uh, I think there's one in there. Uh, there might have been one in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati at one point. I don't remember if there still is.
1: I don't. But. I'm not um, aware of it. We'll say that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I don't
3: yeah. Well, Saint Benedict the more pray for us. Pray for us. It's uh it's a it's a bummer to not be able to go on pilgrimage to your incorrupt body, but we know that you're still operating strong in the communion of saints. And so pray for us. And you're going to be getting that body back. That's right. On the at last the end day. Of time,
1: so. Yeah. time. So, I was just like that story caught my breath. Well, today is Thursday, August the 3rd, and we are very happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's eight past. Back with us on the Sunrise Morning Show here in studio, Catherine Fishlock, professional singer, musician. She's an excellent piano teacher. (laughs) Catherine, good morning good to see you good morning good to be here so uh, you have had a couple of weeks off of the show because you were preparing for and then involved in a sacred music conference at Mount St. Mary's Mm -hmm. so I know you were presenting and we talked about what you were going to um, be presenting but you were also a participant so what sort of things have you been reflecting on since the conference
12: it was a wonderful conference, and I would recommend it to all you music directors and just Catholic folk interested in the liturgy uh, for next year. it happens mm-hmm. every year. I've been thinking a lot about the whole purpose of singing. Like my presentation was on human excellence and perseverance in our singing, that we, regardless of the role we have to play within the liturgy, from the priest, the cantor, the choir and the people in the pews the singing should be the best that it can be you know and i think and that's not to say that everybody needs to turn and you know is expected to be a professional singer but i think for the role for the part you play do your very best because we should give god's we should give god our best work mm. so and of course there are varying levels of that Um, in terms of, you know, your cantors should be your best singers. They should work hard at their singing. You know, our priests should sing well, even if they have limited ability by the world's view of this sort of category of trained singing, right? They should work hard to get to their very highest level.
1: Isn't that the beauty of chant, though? That, That it's not necessarily, well, it's not necessary, so to speak, that, you know, somebody with, the 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 most beautiful voice the the professional mm-hmm. singer like the amateur can pick up chant a
12: hundred percent yes and of course within the whole re- within the whole body of of chant within the church's repertoire you have the simplest you know rectotono which means just singing on one note mm-hmm. which anybody can do and if they learn a little bit about breath support and diction it can be really excellent and, and achieve its purpose. So yeah. any priest should be able to sing. Now the complicated chants should be left then to the choir and the cantor. That is the, their traditional place, you know, sure. the complicated things. And there are things that the people can learn. Um, one thing, though, that we experienced at the conference, which was wonderful, we had a, a Byzantine priest visiting who was one of the keynote speakers. Nice. And the first night of the conference we sang – a Byzantine vespers.
1: Oh yeah,
12: oh my goodness, it was so beautiful. I mean, I have some exposure to the Byzantine rite, but I had not ever done a full vespers before. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, there is no instrumental accompaniment Never. in the Byzantine rite, yeah. so the singing is absolutely front and center, and it's very powerful. There's a different there's a different tonal tradition, which as which you can hear is much more. It's much more Eastern, Mm -hmm. and um, there's a certain excitement and vibrancy in the singing, particularly in the priest's parts, which um, are—I wouldn't say that they're in any way showy, but there's an energy there. And the way that the the interplay between the priest and the people works is really beautiful. We tend in the Roman church to get kind of lazy— and things get really slow and dirge like and then everybody says I hate chant. <laughs> but it's because we lack the we lack the energy to move things forward so then yeah. the, the the priest described this to me because I was interested in that the he would start singing before we were done and then we would come in before he was done yeah. and he wanted it that you know specifically oh, yeah. he said this is what we need and um he explained that these are like the like the links of a chain mm-hmm. that the liturgy should progress, you know like a train has left the station and this with this energy and this forward movement towards God, and it was yeah. just a beautiful experience and it it made me think that like part of that comes from part of the ability to sing like that comes from the confidence that comes from learning uh, learning how to sing or taking the singing to heart, you know that this is really my part this is my part in this i'm not just Um, And that's not to say that you have to, when it's your part, you should sing it fully and Mm -hmm. out of love and give your best.
1: Yeah. I've had some experience of of Byzantine chanting just with my work with the Institute of Catholic Culture and from Hezekiah Carnazzo, who's Uh a a Greek Melkite priest. And uh, listening to him sing with his family Mm -hmm. uh, because he's a married priest. He's got children. And so he has... uh, his children come on ICC events and, and chant with him from time to Mm -hmm. time. And it's true. You do hear them like they are saying amen before he's finishing up. I'm interested in this, this laziness that you're talking about (laughs) with, with us Romans, because there is no, like, time signature on chant, Correct. is there? No. Is that the right terminology right. that I'm using here?
12: Right. Well, it's basically that it's the difference between metered and unmetered music. What we're used to, to our modern ears are used to metered music, which, is, which means we count everything, yeah. right? and we divide time mathematically. Chant doesn't work that way. It has, it has rhythm, but it doesn't have meter. So it has a sense of movement, and it's uh we have groupings of notes that maybe move a little more quickly or a little more slowly mm-hmm. but um you 're not it's not like one, two, three, four, go you know it's just a it's a different feeling, so it's much more it's much more um natural really yeah much it more follows, human yes in a way. Yeah. yes, it follows the rhythm of the you know the the beating of the heart which slows down and speeds up depending mm-hmm. on what we're doing or what we're thinking it allows it, you
1: to be a lot more creative mm-hmm. like in the mind of god kind of creative where mm-hmm. you can i don't know that's that's yeah. so cool it's not um it's not imposing anything upon you in a way right and and really it's deferential to the text yeah and which was the which is
12: the whole point of sung prayer right that we take this beautiful um elevation from speech to song, which mm-hmm. elevates it to music. So like right away, that's a, that has a different, that has a more powerful impact, right? And so that simplest song, the one note, mm-hmm. you know, the Lord be with you and, and with, with your, your spirit, spirit, you yeah. know, how simple could it be, right? But it right. still is elevated. And then all the way from that to the most complicated, glorious, incredibly, uh, very difficult Gregorian chants, and then of course choral music and all that, which came later. The beauty of the human voice as a musical instrument is something mm. also that I think we take for granted. We think of the voice as kind of utilitarian, right? Because mm-hmm. we we use it all the time, constantly, it's, and we we need it. But to transform it yep. from a, a working a workaday tool to a musical instrument Amen. is a miraculous gift. Yes. And I think we uh, we be. It would be great just to, to have people think more about that.
1: For real. Thank you so much, Catherine Fishlock. If you would like her to come and uh, teach your choir how to chant, she's very happy to do so. You can get in touch with us through our contact page at sonrisemorningshow.com. We'll get you in touch with Catherine. 16 past. We're back with headlines right after this.
3: Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available.
8: For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show.
3: Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine.
1: Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission.
3: While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs
1: and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com.
14: St. Augustine gives us tremendous insight as to why we should pray. He says this, Why God should ask us to pray when he knows what we need even before we ask him? may perplex us if we do not realize that our Lord and God does not want to know what we want, for as God, He cannot fail to already know it. But rather, He wants us to exercise our desire through our prayers so that we may be able to receive what He is preparing to give us.
3: 18 minutes past the hour, here's Anna with headlines.
1: Pope Francis begins his World Youth Day pilgrimage in earnest today. Later will be the welcome ceremony in Lisbon. Former President Donald Trump is due to be arraigned this afternoon in the nation's capital and the former Bishop of the Diocese of Albany has announced he has entered into a civil marriage.
3: News at the top and bottom of each hour, every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Uh, Anna Mitchell, I recently did a um, a podcast for Coming Home Network Presents with Lisa Cooper, who came from the Word of Faith Prosperity Gospel Movement, okay. and uh, we were talking a little bit about some of the TV preachers and uh, their private planes and... <laughs> um, How they, like they
1: really exemplified prosperity...
3: <laughs> well, but it, but in fact, I mean, it, according to their own arguments that would be like, well, of course if God is blessing a situation, don't you want to get in on that investment that he's right. blessing? I mean, right. they have of there's course. like a whole internal logic to it. Yeah. But I was thinking about this, do I know any priests that own their own private planes? And I was like, yes, I know one specifically. I know a priest actually is a monsignor who's got his own private plane. Yeah. Yeah. Um so he actually uh, he's, a, he's a private plane. I believe it's a two-seater. A two-seater private plane. A two-seater plane. private okay. plane. Uh, He built it by hand himself from a kit over the course of, I think, more than a decade. Yeah. And as far as I know, not even his closest friends want to get in that plane with him.
9: Mm-hmm.
3: Anyway, I just was wanted to put out counterpoint. I guess there are, I mean, I do know a priest who's got his own private plane. It probably weighs as much as a uh, Volkswagen Beetle and uh yeah somebody came up to you and said I built this plane took me about 10 years I used a screwdriver to do it you want to get in? (laughs) what would you say? (laughs) 21 passed for iced tea if you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options including lemongrass mint, ginger orange and blossoming jasmine
1: go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at s o n r i s e m o r n i n g s h o w . c o m and when you make a purchase we earn a commission
3: while you're at our site pick up a mug or etched travel mug which are available in our online store
1: get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com this past year
8: has been a crazy roller coaster ride but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me Leah at
0: SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. If there is one psalm that bears a great fascination for Christians. It is Psalm 22. Like many others, it is a call for the Lord's help, but Psalm 22 contains elements that seem particularly Christian. The opening verse of the psalm was quoted by Jesus on the cross. Later verses give details of the sufferings that Jesus endured. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my prayer, from the words of my cry. My heart is like wax melting away within my bosom. Indeed, many dogs surround me. A pack of evildoers closes in upon me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They have numbered all my bones. They look on me and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my vesture, they cast lots. O Lord, be not far from me. O my help, hasten to aid me. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Dale Petrica.
3: So I got a question for you. Actually, you know, I'll save my joke to the end. Anna Mitchell will kill me if I start off this segment with a joke. Rita Heikenfeld is going to be along with us right now to talk about carrots on Bible foods. Carrots not mentioned specifically in the Bible, but they were important vegetables in the diet of people in ancient times. Rita, good morning.
12: Good
17: morning, Matt.
3: So I guess we got to go to the Fertile Crescent and uh, the Nile River and that area of the world to learn about the history of carrots.
17: Yeah, and it's interesting because I don't think many people know this, but they were um, most likely cultivated as long as a 1,000 years before Christ was even born. And um, from what I can research, um, it's believed that the Israelites may have um, found carrots during their captivity in Egypt. We all remember those passages, Matt. But by the 10th century, people in Iran and and Northern Arabia, they were growing what we call today the purple and the uh, yellow carrots, the ones that are very trendy and gourmet.
3: Well, you can't really find purple and yellow and red carrots in the grocery store. I mean, you could find them, but they're not near as common as the orange kind. But I guess they were a lot more common back then.
17: Yeah, they were. And that's what I think is so fascinating today. they They were actually the forerunners of our our common orange carrot. Um, And then when the English colonists came over to America, and that was about the 17th century, they brought carrots and the seeds. And then in the 18th century, here's the deal with this. The Dutch produced those orange long carrots, and those are actually the ancestor of what we have every day, you know, the ones in the grocery store, the produce section, those long orange carrots. So that's the carrot history there.
3: All right, so I don't need you to tell me that carrots are good for my eyes uh, because I already know because I've never seen a rabbit wearing glasses, as that joke goes. Uh, but what's uh, what's good for you in the makeup of a carrot?
17: Well, they have that high vitamin A, which we know is good for our eyes and our skin. And, and here's something interesting, too. Um, we always think of, of veggies, especially veggies and fruits, being uh, most nutritious when they're eaten in the raw state. But carrots... Um, the nutrients in carrots are accessible more when they're just slightly cooked. So cook them until they're just crisp, tender, and then your body will absorb even more of those great vitamins.
3: Al dente, as it were. Yes. <laughs> yes. Sort of... All right. Do you uh, buy carrots that have the tops still on, the green part?
17: You know, my budget doesn't usually allow that, but um, if you do, and, and they look really nice and you can eat the tops up though I, to my palate, they're a little bitter. I don't know about you, but... Um, take those tops off because they actually steal moisture from the carrot when you store them in the veggie bin.
9: All
3: right. Now you've got a recipe here that I want to get into uh, that would be – it sounds like it would be a great summer recipe, your couscous stuffed tomatoes. And I bet you there are a lot of people who have more tomatoes than they know what to do with and are trying to figure out something to do with them besides making pasta sauce and salsa and slicing them and putting them on a hamburger.
17: Oh, yeah. And I know you're going to run with this recipe too. Um, same here. I have a lot of tomatoes. So what, um, basically, the recipe is this: you take some tomatoes and you hollow them out, but leave a fairly thick shell. Don't make it real thin. And then um, just set those aside. And then you're going to cook some couscous. You know, the, the instant couscous in some vegetable broth or water. That's only going to take a couple minutes. And then while that's cooking, um, I usually fill a pan with olive oil. Then I'll add a, a shredded carrot. Um Some chickpeas that are drained, but I don't rinse them anymore, do you?
3: uh you know I'm, I don't feel like I usually need to
17: yeah that's the that's the ongoing wisdom now. You drain but don't rinse, and then you can throw in some shallot or red onion, and of course, we all have zucchini, so I throw some of that in, and then some garlic. so I cook all that up for a couple minutes till the zucchini's soft and the carrots soft. and then if I have some basil or chives or mint. I'll throw those in too. And I'll just season the whole thing with salt and I like a little cayenne pepper. And let it cool a little bit and stuff those um, tomatoes with that. And um, if when you're mixing that, the couscous mixture, it sometimes gets a little dry because that's a grain, you can pour a little bit of olive oil in it. Um, And it's really good with some Romano uh, sprinkled on top. Really good. But I knew when I was working on this recipe that you were going to take it and reconstruct it and do a matte thing what we
14: call
3: well i can tell you this that if it's between the shallots or the red onions I, I lean shallots on this recipe uh i mean a lot of people will ask me when i've made something or like a vinaigrette or something mm-hmm. else that what the secret ingredient is and usually it ends up either being dijon mustard or shallots
17: yeah and you know shallots have a wonderful flavor i think um uh they've got a not a sharp flavor but a less sharp flavor than onions and um I, and they really do take well to vinaigrettes. And when mustard, when you add that to a vinaigrette, that acts as an emulsifier plus adds flavor. So you've got it going.
3: Well, I love, too, that you've got zucchini in this recipe because there are people out there who've got a lot of tomatoes, <laughs> and they've figured out what to do with them, but they don't have any clue what to do with their zucchinis except for, like, maybe two or three recipe ideas. So this is a great idea for them.
17: Yep, it sure is, and then we can always freeze the zucchini too. Shred it up, put it in freezer bags, and use it for soups and breads in the winter.
3: You ever spiralize a zucchini? As oh, like you sort know of like I have tried do
17: that. Do you have one?
3: I got a spiralizer. It's uh, it's a hand crank spiralizer. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we we do it from time to time. It doesn't. It's not as satisfying as like regular pasta noodles, but it does make for an interesting, uh, well, pun intended, twist on twist on the idea. Mm-hmm. All right, my carrot jokes. Anna Mitchell's probably ready to kill me. But you ready? You ready? Was uh, uh, Rita? What was the snowman doing when he was looking through a pile of carrots?
17: Oh my gosh, have no clue.
3: He was picking his nose.
17: Oh my, oh lord, doing. I I should know that one. You should know
3: that one. Last one for you.
1: No, don't do it, man.
3: The, the punchline's already going to be obvious on this one. But but Anna Mitchell, what's what's orange and sounds like a parrot? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, Matt. Rita, don't I laugh. Don't laugh. No, at I don't laugh. Again. It only encourages him.
3: Well, Rita Heikenfeld, I encourage people carrot. to go to your website, abouteating.com. Tons of great recipes, especially recipes for doing stuff uh, with things in your garden that you're overwhelmed with. Have a great day.
17: Uh, I will, and
1: I'll talk to you all next week, Matt.
3: Half past the hour, here's Anna with news.
1: Good morning. Pope Francis has a schedule full of youthful encounters as his World Youth Day pilgrimage gets underway in earnest today. He has visited with a community of young people originally established by a decree of his and contributed to a large mural that they've created. He'll also meet with university students and later today, the official World Youth Day welcome ceremony for the Holy Father, will take place in Lisbon. Pope Francis met yesterday with Portuguese civil authorities and diplomats soon after he landed in Portugal. In his remarks, the Holy Father questioned the direction of Europe, citing specifically the war in Ukraine. He said, quote, Where are you sailing if you are not showing the world paths of peace, creative ways for bringing an end to the war in Ukraine and to the many other conflicts causing so much bloodshed? End quote. On his flight to Portugal, the Holy Father learned of a young man who said he would spiritually accompany the Holy Father and everyone else at World Youth Day. From Vatican Radio, Deborah castellano Lubov reports.
10: A moving moment occurred when the Spanish journalist of Radio Cope Eva Fernandez, gave the Pope a letter from Pablo, a young professed Carmelite who died from cancer in July at the young age of 21, in which the late young man writes the Pope has promised that he will accompany pilgrims at the World Youth Day from heaven. Despite his end coming near, Pablo had entered the order in articulo mortis, taking his vows in his room at the hospital clinic in Salamanca. His religious consecration was a response to that ardor given by faith that he said he felt in every fiber of his body debilitated by six years of illness. His story, which in some ways is reminiscent of that of Carlo Acutis, reached the Pope's hands. In his letter, he recounted the years of his illness, saying, I am aware that everything has a reason in God's plan. Between ups and downs, better and worse days, and with much purification through illness, today I look at my life and I can confess that I have been and I am happy. He said that I have discovered that at the center of my life is not illness, but Christ. Noting, as I told my friends, family, and Carmelite brothers, through suffering and sickness I have met God and through death and sickness I will go to him, and for this I thank him. I know from experience Pablo wrote that no one can extinguish the inner fire that a young person in love with Jesus can have. Pablo concluded reassuring, I pray to the Lord that this fire of God's love burns in Lisbon, and how I would like the young people to know Jesus, my beloved. He has given me so much, consoled me so much, made me so happy. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. Pope Francis also met yesterday with victims of
1: clerical sexual abuse on the first day of his visit to Portugal. The Pope met privately with the victims in what the Vatican described as an atmosphere of intense listening. The former bishop of the Diocese of Albany, New York, has announced that he has entered into a civil marriage. Bishop Emeritus Howard Hubbard put out a statement saying that he exchanged vows with a woman last month whom he says helped care for him and believes in him. The 84-year-old Hubbard led the 14-county diocese from 1977 until 2014 and retired from his role as bishop several years ago. He has since been under investigation for both committing and covering up sexual abuse, allegedly. He announced last year that he applied to the Vatican asking for laicization, But that request was denied. Current Albany bishop Edward Scharfenberger released a statement saying Hubbard is still a bishop and the quote unquote marriage is invalid. President Donald Trump is due to be arraigned this afternoon in the nation's capital on four counts related to alleged efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Trump has said the indictment is purely political. Roughly 65 million Americans are dealing with heat alerts still across the South. Trey Thomas reports.
11: Major cities in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, Oklahoma, and Kansas are all facing several days of dangerous heat as the heat index is forecast to go above 110 degrees. The heat dome will make its way to California and Arizona, where Phoenix could reach upwards of 115 degrees. I'm Trey Thomas.
1: The man convicted of killing 11 at the Pittsburgh Tree of Life Synagogue in 2018 18 has been sentenced to death a federal jury came to that unanimous decision yesterday on the fate of robert bowers that's the news it's 35 past the this past year has been a crazy
8: roller coaster ride but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or
3: nonprofit on the
8: Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com.
3: Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you
1: go to the mystic monk coffee site through our site sunrisemorningshow.com to browse the monk shot options when you check out we'll earn a commission
3: and why not brew it straight into a sunrise morning show mug or travel mug you can find those in our online store
1: buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com the baltimore
15: catechism asks Is it right to show respect to the pictures and images of Christ and his saints? It is right to show respect to the pictures and images of Christ and his saints, because they are the representations and the memorials of them. On my desk is a picture of my parents, and sometimes before I go to bed I might give it a little kiss. And so, if I'm going to respect this image of my earthly parents, well shouldn't I respect the image of my heavenly father? and of his son Jesus who died for me. And so it is right, then, to show respect to these pictures and images because they truly help us to enter into the spiritual realm, transcend the material, and to recognize the grace that God uses through these things. And so if we show them the proper respect and not superstition, then we are better able to keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan.
3: Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Machuda, and he is uh, online through uh, his hands-on apologetics efforts. You can find all kinds of cool stuff uh, to help you answer some questions that people may be asking you about your Catholic faith. His latest book, "The Gospel Truth: How We Can Know What Christ Taught." Gary, good morning. Morning, Matt. So today we're uh, in chapter two of your book. Uh, the title of it: "What Was Passed On." You know, it might seem like kind of a like an obvious thing uh, to, to think about, you know, what was it that the uh, the apostles received that they witnessed and passed on? But uh, when it comes to the Gospels, like, what is it that we have?
18: Yeah, and uh, yeah, we're, so we're starting at ground zero, assuming absolutely nothing, right? And one thing we do know is that Jesus of Nazareth is Jewish. And this is very important, because in first century Judaism, Uh, The recounting of history and uh, uh, reflection in writing about uh, the sayings and doings of high esteem. In fact, there was a first-century Jewish historian named Flavius Josephus who lived about the year 100. So he lived shortly after the Gospels were composed, and in his work against Appian. He talks about history, and he, he says that the, the Jewish culture ranked among the best ancient cultures as far as recording uh, uh, what went on, like the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Phoenicians. And he also said that the most prized type of history that is available is when the author was present at the events and or interviewed people that were part of the events and so before we even look at the gospels uh, in terms of their inspiration or even in terms of their reliability uh we see that the gospels kind of fit within the category of the best
3: kind of historiography
18: and you know and also composed within this culture that really prized uh record keeping
3: well and not just prized record keeping but had a whole entirely different understanding of of mentorship and training than we have Today, so uh, I yeah. want to talk about this rabbi disciple kind of culture and relationship because you know if you ask me, uh, Gary, about if I'm available on something and can we like follow up on a conversation, I got to pull up my notes. All right, I mean, you could have <laughs> you could have called me and said this is what we're going to talk about. I would have still had to write it down and be like, okay, well, let me make sure that I'm going to ask you about this and so on and so forth. In the rabbi disciple oh, yeah. relationship, and you see some of this, by the way, if you watch the Chosen. Uh, them trying to capture some of this, it's almost as though he's walking through sort of a thought process and people are memorizing some some stuff word for word. That's not something that just like originated at the time of Christ. This is a a rabbi-disciple kind of thing that happened actually quite a bit, right? Teaching people to sort of memorize teachings and truths.
18: Right. Jesus taps into this. Uh, There was already a mechanism within Judaism for transmitting vast amounts of information accurately from generation to generation through this rabbi-disciple relationship. So what I do in the book is basically I I look at some later Jewish literature about, you know, what are the facets of this instruction? And then what I do is then I flip to the Gospels and say, well, do the Gospels reflect this? And and it's most definitely it does. So I I don't know how much detail you'd like to get into. Uh, You want to
3: well, I want to get into facets, at least it? A, a little bit, because I find this whole thing yeah. fascinating, and you did a lot of sort of layers of, of, of research into how uh, one might learn from a rabbi and record and pass on what a rabbi taught them.
18: Yeah, and it's all common sense, too. Like, the, the first key element of the rabbi-disciple relationship is the prestige of the rabbi. And that makes sense if you just reflect to yourself— Somebody that you hold in high esteem, maybe like a rock star or maybe, uh, you know, uh, a politician or something like that. When someone is held in high esteem, we kind of hang on every word. You know, we pay attention to the things that normally we wouldn't pay attention, like, uh, you know, what they're wearing or what they're saying or their mannerisms. So, uh, Part of And the rabbis realize this, that part of the rabbi-disciple relationship is the prestige of the rabbi, uh, because you'll pay attention to them. Or, you know, another way to think about it is you pay attention to the people that can advance your careers, right? So if you have a mentor who maybe is walking you through a doctoral dissertation or something like that, you're going to pay attention to what they say, because it's going to impinge upon your whole life.
3: Yeah, that's a big chunk of it, but there's another uh, several chunks of, of this that you get out uh, in the course of this. One of these is absolutely fascinating, uh, that the rabbi repeats himself over and over again so his disciples can get it. And I find this fascinating for a few different reasons, one of which is because there's some sort of you know, modern and even postmodern biblical scholars who will say, well, you know, in Matthew's gospel right there at the beginning, we get the Sermon on the Mount— uh, but in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 6, we see Jesus give a sermon on a plane. So uh, maybe we don't know exactly where Jesus gave this sermon, because one place he's on a mountain and one place he's on a plane. But if you understand this rabbi-disciple relationship where the rabbi is repeating himself over and over again, it would make sense that Jesus would possibly say the same thing twice in a couple of different settings. Actually, probably a whole lot more than twice if this is his methodology.
18: Right, right. Yeah, the difficulty there is, uh, you know, it, if you're publishing a book or you're writing, uh, readers don't like to read the exact same thing over and over again, right? So, and also, uh, writing, especially in the ancient world, even today, writing by hand, is laborious. So you don't want to keep repeating things over and over because of the redundancy. It's just extra work. No one wants to read it. So the Gospels kind of expunge a lot of the repetition. But, you know, we do see echoes, and I think that's one of them, that uh, things that are placed in different places may be the very same teaching that's just being recited over and over again.
3: Well, and you can't tell me that you don't have a pastor who's used the same joke in his homily twice. I mean, come on. I mean, you you would see this to the present day. Uh, But when it comes to, like, you know, this is all the backdrop, then how does that help us understand what we have when we look at the Gospels?
18: Yeah. So um, what you do is you see that Jesus is tapping into this thing, and it's guaranteeing that the disciples are not only instructed, right? They're not just rote memorizing everything Jesus says, but they're also uh, being formed and uh, informed. Because one another aspect is that uh, rabbi-disciple relationship is dispositional. In other words, the rabbi poses questions to the disciples, and the disciples pose questions to the rabbi, and you see that throughout the Gospels, right? Jesus is constantly posing questions for them to consider, and they ask him questions in return. So they're being trained like in a law school.
3: Yeah, and and you, that that idea really helps make a whole lot more sense of John chapter fourteen twenty six, uh, when Jesus says, promising the Holy Spirit, that uh, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. And just seeing like how these apostles would have memorized all this stuff that they had no idea what it even meant yet, <laughs> right? But the, <laughs> right? But when the time came and the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost, all these things that they had like wired into their brain from this repetition, suddenly now they knew what it meant. Right. Yeah,
18: exactly. You know, and one one of the, and the last point, too, of this rabbi-disciple relationship that I found really fascinating is that imitating the rabbi was key. So a, a pupil had two duties. First, he had to keep everything faithful in memory, and the other one was that he had to never teach anything otherwise than what was delivered to him, even in expression. And I've seen this in the field of apologetics, where if you have somebody who's a devotee of somebody sometimes they'll, they'll start imitating them even like if they have a southern accent and the person's from the north they'll actually adopt the southern accent and so that's a really interesting point because the apostles if they're fully trained by jesus they would be repeating jesus's teachings. they might even sound like them or use the same phrases as jesus
3: yeah yeah it's uh It's pretty cool to reflect upon. Uh, You can find Gary's book, The Gospel Truth, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. I really encourage you to head over to Hands-On Apologetics so you can pick up Gary's Michigan accent when you make your arguments, (laughs) uh, in case you're looking for that. But, Gary, thank you so much, as always. Really appreciate you. Looking forward to uh, our next conversation. Uh, Same here, Matt. Thanks a lot. All right, 14 Till, we're back with Michelle Sagarino from Cross Catholic Outreach to help fight world hunger coming up next.
7: Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free, approved by the USCCB.
13: Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at Centralfabricators.com. That's Centralfabricators.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker
3: at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you.
1: Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, SunriseMorningShow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission.
3: And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store.
1: Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, Communicating the Faith.
19: I feel that God has been really doing a work in me in the last five, ten years. I'm a convert to Catholicism, and I started to just really feel a passion to know more about the Catholic faith, and I started listening to Catholic radio all day. I'm not doing great things, but I'm doing small things with great love.
11: EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic.
7: When was your best job interview?
11: Are you still
15: working there?
7: You can share today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations.
15: And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 11 till, here's Anna
3: with headlines.
1: Pope Francis has a schedule full of youthful encounters as his World Youth Day pilgrimage gets underway in earnest today, the welcoming ceremony a little bit later today. The former Bishop of the Diocese of Albany, New York has announced that he has entered into a civil marriage and former president donald trump is due to be arraigned this afternoon in washington
3: news at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the sunrise morning show i'm matt Swain, joined now by michelle Magar- sagarino <laughs> sorry i already messed up your name so badly michelle michelle sagarino is president of cross catholic outreach and they've got a fight world hunger campaign michelle good morning
19: Good morning, Matt. It's not an easy name. You did a good job. Thank you for having me on your program to share about Cross-Catholic Outreach and our campaign to fight world hunger. Appreciate that.
3: Well, I only have to say your name a couple times one morning. You've got to say your name first thing every morning. So. To... <laughs> well, Cross-Catholic Outreach has such a great uh, ministry, and there's so many great layers to what it is that you do Tell us about this Fighting World Hunger program um, that is is really practical, and I'm, I'm just shocked at the bang for the buck that you're able to get.
19: Oh, for sure, for sure, Matt. As you know from being um, together in the past, Cross Catholic Outreach, we support priests, nuns, bishops in the field all around the world, currently in 36 countries. And those missionaries, they help build schools, houses, water, but today, we really feel our most urgent need is for food. Um, last year, we shipped over 26 million meals to 18 partners in 10 countries, and the need is, is really even greater now. So this summer, we're really reaching out to Call Catholics to help provide close to 6 million meals to children and families in the Dominican Republic. Um, very efficient it would be only about 15 cents per meal can you imagine that
3: uh it's wild uh especially given <laughs> how far inflation has gone you know how much uh i mean you you can't even get like a half a egg right now for 15 cents <laughs> uh, <laughs> so i mean it's so just right. incredible the bang for the buck i mean how are you able to do this
19: you're right food prices look at here Gone up what, 11%, 12%, and when you hit the grocery store, eggs certainly are high. But because of our model of supporting missionaries in the field, and because of our ability to ship efficiently to long-term Catholic partners, we're able to get uh, what we call Vita food. Vita food is a meal with rice or potato or a lentil base, but it also has a protein, usually soy or beans and vitamins. And that is actually shipped to our partners, and it really helps to abate uh, food insecurity, mal- malnutrition it 's much more than just food it's really to help take a child an adult from malnutrition to a healthier state. so that provides great efficiency when you're able to ship that in and Get it into Catholic partners that you know is going that are going to come alongside uh, these families, these programs with the material, the food, but also the spiritual that is so important to us in our faith.
3: Well, I'm looking and trying to figure out some of the math on this, uh, <laughs> you know, just for, for comparison's sake. So $1,500 uh, is one of the donation levels that you can give at. Now, $1,500 mm-hmm. for a lot of our uh, listeners who have a few kids in the house, or more than a few, that's like three trips to Costco. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> or it's 10,000 10, meals <laughs> through the Fight World Hunger Program. That's insane to
14: me.
19: It is insane. And just to, to kind of emphasize the value of food, recently I was in the field and talking to students. A lot of times meals go through our school programs, right? The partners support schools and the children receive meals. And it happened to be a Monday morning. And this little girl looks so sad, Matt. And I asked the principal, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with her? Why is she so sad? And he went and asked her, which I didn't really want. But the response was, well, last meal that I had was Friday at school. Fridays are really not good days for their family because Saturday and Sundays, the parents know it's harder to get food. So, you know, this is a critical outreach to support these missionaries to provide the food. We turned around and gave more food to those children on Fridays to take home, you know, really listening to what the need is. So it's it's a large need all across the world, and it's just been accelerated since covid Um and uh really with the war in Ukraine you know a lot of grains aren't getting into us as well as as these developing countries so it's it's a it's a great need that i'm hoping our your listeners and Catholics will rally around
3: well crosscatholic.org/feeding is the quick link to get there and find some of the details and the stats and and some of the things that you're doing again that's crosscatholic.org/feeding you know and i think too, Michelle, one of the practical aspects of this is that, you know, so often we feel really helpless. You know, we see all mm-hmm. the horrible things going on in the world and all the frustrating battles going on in the culture and we think, well, what difference can I make? Do I go out there and make some argument for the faith? Do I go out there and, you know, give to some organization and, and make them do the work for me? And and you know, will I ever see the fruits or the results? And mm-hmm. just think about the associations you're building with providing a meal in the context of the church or in the context of a school that is often, you know, run by missionaries or religious, that kid is being fed with a corporal work of mercy and being surrounded by spiritual works of mercy when they show up for the meal. I mean, the the impact of that would be impossible to measure.
19: It is impossible to measure. I believe that a relationship is the key to our faith, right? Our relationship to God through Jesus. Our relationship with these partners in the long term, it really allows supporters to give those funds and to know they're getting in the right hands. We've worked with these partners for years, Fundicep, run by Bishop in um, Dominican Republic, Good Samaritan Hospital, a hospital that's providing medical supplies throughout Dominican Republic. All of these partners we know, we trust. And we know how they're going to provide the food. And when a donor does decide to join this cause, they'll be updated. So they'll okay. know where their funds are going to.
3: Well, that's one of the great things about Cross Catholic Outreach is letting people know exactly what it is that they're supporting when they support. CrossCatholic.org feeding linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Head on over there make a gift today. Man, that wraps it up for today. We'll talk to
5: you again tomorrow. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.